Hey, hey, Boss Rebellish, Patty Dominguez here with Tim Wambach, and you are listening to episode 102 of the Boss Re Society podcast. Today's episode is Ben Saddle, who is copywriter extraordinaire. Email players newsletter is what he offers. And, and aside from that, a lot of wit, a lot of humor. We had such a good time on the show. It's really a pleasure to have had him on. And um, he's a unique character, and you'll see why. He's talking to us today about how to create demand for your expertise, and nobody better than to do that than Mr. Ben Settle. So go ahead and take a listen to the show. Thank you, by the way, for subscribing and let us know what you think. We're on Twitter at Boss Re Society. And if you want the show notes and the links that we mentioned on the show, head over to bossresociety.com forward slash show one zero two. Do you believe there is more to your career than waiting for the gold watch in 40 years? Did you know that the average American spends 200 hours a year commuting to a job they probably hate? Does it frost your ass to get a 2% raise that barely keeps up with the rate of inflation? Have you ever worked for a boss hole? We know how you feel, and we want to help. Welcome to the Boss Free Society Podcast, your entertaining entrepreneur therapy session with your hosts, Tim Wambach and Patty Dominguez. Couch not included. Patty, we're back in the studio interviewing another great, great guest. It just doesn't stop. It doesn't get old. And I'm excited to bring Ben Settle to, to the airwaves. Uh, over the past 13 years, uh, Ben has written ads, created email campaigns, and cooked up marketing strategies for clients that have collectively earned multi-millions of dollars in sales and hyper-competitive cutthroat markets such as golf, weight loss, business opportunity, self-defense, home business, internet marketing, and more. So what I did, Patty, I kind of looked at, you know, I did my research as we always do our research, and Ben had some killer, killer headlines that I wanted to share before we even brought him on because he might have to, to talk a bit or two about one of these or two of these or even three of these. All right, go so on. So here they are. How to use email to profit from chicks, dog poop, and Seinfeld. Okay. How to use sex, hate mail, and terrorists to make your ads almost irresistible to buy from. And last, and this is just kind of shows where my humor lies, how to write emails that stick out like a wet fart in... I must say, I don't even remember writing those subject lines, but I will be happy to take credit for them. I, I did write those. I just can't tell you what they were about I don't remember, but you really did your homework. Yeah, well, <laughs> like and, dug back there. Man. And, and, and here's the thing: if you can't recall, no pun intended. And I must say, I was at the beginning. I was kind of like, "This guy's offensive." I'm like, I can't stop listening. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lesson in that because you know the show Seinfeld, right? So of course. there's an episode where Kramer, there was like a painting of him, Jerry's girlfriend painted him. And this like old couple keeps they can't stop looking at it. They're like, God, it's offensive, it's brutish, but I can't look away. And I think that's how good emails are too. Oh, there you go. And that's good a, podcast. It's true. And and with the the podcasting front, I mean I know that you sit there and it, and it could be like you'll riff the other day I was listening to an episode where you were talking about these girls that go on these Tinder sites or match dot com in order to get a free meal. And it was just so perfect because it was an analogy to the fact that some people, if you're doing email marketing 
are just giving away everything for free and you were teaching them like, don't do that. Don't be like the guy that has taken out this chick when she's only interested in the free meal. I thought it was so yeah, brilliant. And, and, and there's a, that's a huge thing with emails. A lot of people want to, uh, they think that by, they, they think that they call it moving the free line. Okay. Which you go. I didn't, I don't know who made that up, but, and that's like this whole idea that you keep giving away your best stuff for free all the time. And, and then people will say, well, if that's what's in the free stuff, what's in the paid stuff? And, and I'm not going to say that never works, but you're also – you're getting the, the lowest bottom of the barrel people too. You know, Just like someone who would just take, make a guy – lead a guy on to take him – to take her out and then just to pay for a meal. It's not like every girl's like that and not every prospect's like that. But you want to try to avoid them and just be like garlic to a vampire. They don't even bother you. So this is so perfect. And we are going to we are going to deep dive into email and just your thought process, your expertise around that. But we wanted to circle back from the beginning. How did your entrepreneurial career start, Ben? It it started with MLM, which, you know, I'm not in that anymore. So I'm not going to pitch anybody on that. Or anything. Okay, good. I'm not going to start drawing circles or anything. But, uh, <laughs> oh, it was right after college. <laughs> right after college. Well, you guys are laughing because you know that's what happened. We, no, um, we're in MLM, but it's not like actively promoted. But you know the whole deal. Like it's unlimited depth. And, yeah. You know, yeah, I totally get it. If you get yeah. your friends and they get their friends. And just two. <laughs> all you need is one friend to get, do all the work for you. Um, so I, I started out in that in after college and because I didn't want to work for someone for the rest of my life. I hate authority and I don't like people barking orders at me and telling me what to do and all that. You know, I just don't like it. So I knew one day I'd have to get out of a job situation. But I also need I had to get a job out of college. But I said I'd do this MLM thing because I at least knew what it was. And I sucked at it. I was so bad at it. I I just hated it. I hated everything about it. Not because I think it's a bad industry, exactly. but I just am not the kind of person who wants to go around. And that during those days, you'd hand out audio cassette tapes. Yep. That was like back when dinosaurs roamed the earth. And, <laughs> yeah, I, I was. It got to a point where I was doing it. Uh, I, I got in so much debt. I was in all this debt, and I was just really broke. And I had to like I had lived in an office, like a two hundred dollar a month office, no shower or anything. And uh, I, I did that for like four or five months, and it was so depressing. I was embarrassed to even tell anybody what I was doing. And uh, eventually I started getting really desperate, and I started handing these tapes out to local business owners, trying to recruit them. And, I mean, it was just a disaster. It was just like the worst. Like I've never been so, like, rejected <laughs> in my life, and rightfully so. I mean, I don't even – in hindsight, God, I'm surprised they're so nice to me. But – um. Eventually, I just like one morning, it was like 3 a.m. Because I had to get up early when I lived in this office because I didn't want the landlord whose office was conjoined to mine. I don't want him to know I was living there. Oh, wow. And so I would get up at like 5 a.m. and I'd gather all the blankets off the floor and I'd because I didn't have a bed or anything. And I'd go drive down to the gym down the street and shoot some hoops and then take a shower there and then drive back like I'm just coming in for the day. You know? <laughs> so it was like it was bad. It was, but I was, what I, was do. I was doing that. It, it was, it was, yeah. I mean, it's, it makes for a good story though. For now, for podcasts, I mean, let's face it, Absolutely. it was worth it. Just so I could tell it right now. But um, <laughs> so eventually, I'm just laying there at like 3 a.m. I'm just depressed out of my ass, and I'm just like, oh God, I know you didn't put me on this earth to do MLM. I, there's nothing against it. It's just not me. I'm an introverted guy. I like to just be. I don't really want to be around a lot of people, and that's what I had to do back then. This is pre when the internet was big with this stuff. So I went into my other room in my office and I started looking around on the bookshelf just for something to do. And I pulled this book out that I had liked. I had read a few other times. It was actually a book of the month that the MLM company sent me. And I liked it. It was called The Seven Lost Secrets of Success by Joe Vitale. Mm. 
And it's about this old school advertising guy named Bruce Barton. Now, nobody, if you ask one out of a thousand people who Bruce Barton is, they wouldn't even know who he is. But in the mid to early 1900s, he was a household name. Like everybody, like the joke was, you can't go anywhere without hearing Bruce Barton's name. He was like an open enemy of like Franklin Roosevelt, and he was a congressman. And he was like everyone in Wall Street knew him. He was the second B in the big BBDO advertising agency. Oh, wow. And he just was a well, yeah, he's just a well, like back then he was everything. Like not everything, but everyone knew him. And so anyway, this guy came up to him. It was 1919. This is in the book. I was just, I just turned to this page. And it was 1919. It was right after World War One. The economy was all crappy. And the sales guy came to him looking for help. Like, how do I get a job, Bruce? What can I do? Well, this guy was a sales manager out of work. And he said, well, Bruce, you know, I have this, like, I'm known for writing sales letters. That's my specialty. So Bruce Barton takes him to the window and he says, look at all those buildings out there. Why don't you write, you're supposed to be good at writing sales letters. Why don't you write a sales letter and selling one of them on hiring you? And, like, when I read that, I had read that book, like, three times before, but it never really hit me. I was like, holy crap, you can make money writing letters? (laughs) I don't have to, like, talk to anybody. I hand tapes out. And uh, I, I got into copywriting at that. Like that night, I started learning about copywriting. I found the big names in the copywriting world, like Dan Kennedy and Gary Halbert, who are all big names in that world. And it was like a rabbit hole. And I, I went down it and I became a freelance copywriter for the next several years. Right around 2008, 2009, I started specializing in email because I had learned a, a way of doing email by studying this guy named Matt Fury, who's in the fitness market. He just did things so differently. It wasn't like he was just pitching you every day. He was. But in a way that you kind of liked it. It was kind of like, you know, it was kind of, you actually kind of liked it. It was like, wow, this is kind of cool. It was like a, it was just a very interesting way of doing it. And so I studied some of his products and I just said, okay, I'm going to apply this to what I'm doing. I was selling my own products at the time in the copywriting world and everything. And I started doing pretty good at it. And I started like taking what the foundation of what he taught and I kind of made it my own. I started throwing out the stuff that didn't work for me systematizing a bunch of parts of it, experimenting like crazy. And I was selling a lot of my products. And finally, people are like, Ben, when's the email product coming out? I'm thinking, I never planned to do an email product. But yeah, thanks for telling me. And I started specializing in email after that. And I haven't looked back since. Now, when you started with the copywriting, a lot of people talk about, well, I, I started studying copywriting. What exactly did you do that really helped you sell that product that you had? Like what were some of the te- techniques or what, what did you do to, to learn copyright? Well, for copywriting, you know, back then there wasn't this inundation of information you have now. Now there's so much information. It's like what's bull crap and what's real. Back then it was still, and I say back then, this is, we're talking 2002, <laughs> you know, but it, it seemed like a long time ago. Yeah. Four score and seven years ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm about to give you like a speech like that, but <laughs> They're just like there was it was limited back then and and which was a good thing in hindsight because um, I didn't get seduced by a bunch of bad you know there's good marketers who sell bad products and there just wasn't any of that in copywriting and uh, I would it started with just like a book like a nine dollar book called the ultimate sales letter and I took that and I applied what I learned to there to write a sales letter and whatever money I made from that I'd reinvest into other products so I would let copywriting pay for itself my education paid for itself. And um, and one one thing I did, and this applies to anything you're learning, it doesn't matter what business you're in, you don't have to be copyright, it doesn't matter, is because I didn't have a lot of money back then and I just had like one or two products to go through, I would go through a product 10 times, literally, before I'd move on to the next one. And Ooh, once you've good. gone through something, oh man, I'm telling you, once you go through something 10 times, you know it as well as the author and you have a deep understanding of things. And I never would have had that, like been able to do that. 
there's this, there's this, uh, there's this, there's a, here's the way I look at it. I think it's better, whatever service, business, doesn't matter what you're in. It's better to read the 10 best books 10 times than 100 books one time because yeah. you get depth. In that. So we'll, we'll use the MLM analogy. You want width, but you also want depth, <laughs> you know, and that's what that'll give you. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, because as entrepreneurs, you know, we're looking for that golden key that's really going to unlock everything for us so that we find success. So I know early on, I was definitely a proponent of that. I'd, I'd be like, oh, I need this product and that product and that product. And yeah, I'd get through them. But to your point, it's it doesn't become ingrained and you don't really activate and have a deep understanding because I, I'd be all over the place. I'm like, oh, I need that. I need that. I need <laughs> that. And I, I mean, honestly, and it wasn't until, you know, I joined different groups so that people are like, no, focus, focus on this first, learn it so that you understand it enough to to know how to how to actually apply it. So that's that's killer. That's a great oh, tip yeah. right there. Yeah, because I, I, that, that's, that's... <laughs> I've invested no, a lot of money. That's very true. No, that, and that, that's, that's what I'm saying. This what, I mean, it's almost better if you start out broke because mm. it, it forces you to learn the raw fundamentals. And, you know, everything I do even today is – I'm a fundamentals guy. There's a, there's a story that I, I love telling where this guy went – it was actually Kevin Trudeau. You know who Kevin Trudeau is, right? Absolutely. He's the guy. He's like Absolutely. in prison now. Yeah. But you can still learn from the – he's still a brilliant marketer. You know, he's just a little shady. But he uh, he was telling the story about he went to this uh, – when he was a young cocky kid, he wanted to learn like Kung Fu or something. So he went to this guy named Master Tai, I think his name was, and he said, I want to learn advanced fighting. And, and the guy says, you know, Master Tai goes, advanced? He's like, yeah, yeah, show me something advanced. So Master Tai takes him to this like candle and he punches so fast next to the candle, it puts the candle out, like blows the candle out. And, and he goes, you mean like that? And, and Kevin's like, yeah, that, that's what I want to learn, advanced. And he goes, well, first you have to learn how to punch. <laughs> so... <laughs> There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of wisdom in that for us business people. Yeah. So, uh, Ben, when what would you say was the pivotal? I don't know your cop to your copywriting success, like the moment where you deemed yourself an expert, or the market deemed you, you an expert. Well, it, it, the, <laughs> that happened when I finally grew an ego, <laughs> and I told people because you know, I mean, yeah, the market. You can wait for the market to tell you, and it's good, but. There's nothing like good old self-promotion <laughs> just right, to go yeah. out there and not hold back. And if you really are good at what you do and you can back it up, it's it's not bragging. It's the truth. From a positioning standpoint, because um, we've heard that positioning is so critically important. I know in my consulting, et cetera, that is definitely the case. Can you comment on that? Because I've heard I found out about you because I was on some podcast and these guys were talking and they were talking about you like, oh, he's a freaking master and he's a guru and he's an expert. And I was like, holy shit, I got to I have to check out this guy's podcast. And so to your point, how did you like what was the moment you're like, holy crap, here's a here's um, an opportunity for me to position myself like on the end. I'll be all. And then you you really portray that in your podcast. Well, I mean, I don't know if I'm the end all be all, but because I'm definitely not everybody's cup of tea, and I know that. See, that's another part of it is when you finally specialize. Yeah. Now, this isn't really a, like for my podcast. We don't really specialize, but when I said I'm going to be the specialist at this email marketing, when when you specialize, when you make that decision and you tell people, you automatically have elevated yourself up higher than everyone else who's not specialized. So, for example, let's say you have a bunch of doctors. Well, the brain surgeon, whether he's smarter or not, he could have graduated last in medical school, right? We don't know, but but he's automatically going to make more money. He's got more built-in credibility, and he and he has more like just 
positioning, better respect and positioning just because he's specialized. And you could say that about the, the foot doctor, you know, the, the ears, nose and throat doctor. Like if you specialize in something, that's how you become like an like known as an expert at what you do just by saying I specialize in this. What, uh, what would you say is the ballsiest move you've ever made as an entrepreneur? Oh, the ballsiest, huh? I would say, okay, I'll tell you what. Probably the, I don't know if this is ballsiest, but it was definitely the one where everyone told me not to do it, but I did it anyway just because they told me not to do it. And it's not like I would have like lost anything had it not worked, but it did kind of make people shake their head at me a little bit. And that was when I decided to publish a newsletter, a print newsletter about email marketing specifically because I'd already had one about generalized marketing. And I can only charge so much for that. And I said, what if I specialize and I do one about email? Because I'd had like this $800 email marketing course that was constantly updating. Because I'm always learning. Like to this day, I always learn something every day. And I'm like, I can't just keep updating this thing. Why don't I do a continuity thing? And I decided to print newsletter. And people go, I mean, everybody. And we're talking well-known, respected name marketers that, everybody, that anyone in direct marketing would probably recognize, especially online. They were like, Ben, isn't there going to be a disconnect with that? And I said, I don't know. This is how I want to do it. It's really and, risky, yeah. Yeah, and it was like, okay, so maybe it doesn't work. And, uh, you know, everyone's saying don't do it. So, of course, I have to do it. And I thought, you know, I had like a list of maybe 5,000 people. I didn't have a huge list at the time. This was like five years ago. And I said, okay, what if I get 10, 15 subscribers of this? That's a good foundation to build upon for $100 a month. I ended up getting like 83 people on the launch. And I was like, oh, I guess that worked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, so in your email players, the news list, you know, I've heard you mention on your show that you have a structure for how you put out information, copy, what have you. It's around entertaining, educating, and elevating. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like why that's so successful for you? Yeah. And the funny thing about that is I'd been doing that for a very long time. I just never really thought of it in those terms until about a month ago, maybe a little more than that. I saw this documentary on Netflix about all these movie directors. They like did like 20 or 30 of these little mini documentaries, like a half hour long about various directors. And one of them was Mel Gibson. And I was watching his and he was talking about like his most successful movies like Braveheart, Passion of the Christ and uh, Apocalypto. He goes, the reason they were so successful is because they first entertain. You have to entertain in the movie business, right? Like if you don't entertain, nobody's going to come. So you have to do that. But you also want it to kind of educate. Like if you watch those movies, you're getting an education, a historical education of nothing else. And then elevate isn't something you can really control. It's like it, it, you hope it happens. But that's where like you write, you write an email or an, a, a movie in his case where you've actually changed the way that somebody thinks. You've got them thinking on a higher level. It could be spiritually. It could be in any way. But you've literally changed the way they think. And they feel like you've really like elevated them past the way they used to think. And you can – if you do it in an email, it's, you'll know it because you'll get a whole bunch of people responding to you and a whole bunch of people buying. And you'll be like, holy crap, where did that come from? And you're like, well, this, this kind of changed the way people think. So I'll give you an example. I, the most recent one I can think of is uh, I did this – I wrote this email for freelance. I, I directed it toward freelance – freelancers of anything but copywriters specifically. But this applied to any freelancer. And there's a lot of freelancers that like they beg for business and they don't know how to get new business and they're always looking like they're desperate and all that. And it's because they have this mindset where they have this like scarcity mindset. But I said, here's the reality and this is what I put in the email. If you're good at what you do, if you're really good at what you do and you have a proven track record of it and you're trustworthy and you do a good job and you're reliable, 
the math is actually on your side because there's less supply of you as a, a service provider that can do that than there are potential clients and customers who need you. So the math is on your side. You don't need to be out there begging. You, I don't, you don't say these words to people that, yeah, you need me more than I need you, but that's the intention. And when you start doing things without caring what people think because you know that what you have is so valuable – it changes the way the whole game is played. And I got so many people saying, you know, Ben, that really just, I can't even tell you how much I needed to hear that and all that. And it was like, oh, okay, that was an example. I didn't set out to like change people's minds. It was just like something I'd been working out in my own head for a while that like supply and demand. Yeah, I take it back to the dating world too, you know, like that podcast you listen to. It's the same thing. If you're a good, if you're a good guy, you know, you have all your stuff together and you have something to offer. There's actually less supply of you than there are of girls who want you and vice versa. If you're a good girl and you have what guys want, and you're the kind of personality they want. Trust me, there's less supply of you than there are of guys who want you. So it's like the math is on your side. There's no reason to go through life feeling like inferior to people and that's where a lot of people have this problem but they see all this like rock see everybody's so good on the internet at portraying themselves to be rock stars right but if you look at their lives they're not these people are so insecure and struggling and they you know they have they have like a, a, a ferrari in the refrigerator or a ferrari in the driveway but no food in the fridge that sort of thing and it's like if you just go in knowing that you just have to focus on the fundamentals of whatever you do and be the best you can at it. Excel at it. You don't have to be perfect. There's no such thing as perfect. But be what a greatest. This is what uh, James Cameron, the movie director, you know, the guy did Titanic and Avatar, like the two highest selling movies in history. I was reading this book of interviews with him. And uh, he was like, look, I'm not trying to be a perfectionist. I just want to be a greatest. If I'm great at what I do, everything takes care of itself. I can't be perfect. And I, th- I think that's good advice for all of us. Oh, definitely. Because with being perfect, you know, there's no such thing as perfect. So we really, when you're trying to attain perfection, there's really no standard there because you can never attain it. It just causes more stress. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty perfect at worrying about being perfect. I I know you have um, like you have a program uh, that you can double your sales with email. How do you teach that, or what you know? What can you can, can you help with our listeners uh, around that? Well, it, that's the print newsletter I was telling you about, and you know, it's it's really for people who are already using email, or they want to start using email, and they're just confused. They they have trouble coming up with ideas. They don't want to just be the person that's pitching all the time, but at the same time, they don't want to be the person like we were talking about earlier who just gives away everything, you know, and then hopes somebody buys. It teaches you how to actually – it really goes beyond email. It teaches you how to communicate, to be a good communicator because you can apply this stuff to videos. Pod, like my podcast is the exact same way I do my emails. Videos, if I did a lot of videos, I do, I do the same thing. When I go speak on stage, it, it sounds like I'm writing an email because it's all one congruent voice. It's not writing. It's not speaking. It's just communicating. And uh, even though I don't sell that aspect of it, but that that is kind of what it teaches you to do. So that's what that is. But, you know – it's like not everybody's really ready for that yet because it's it's a hundred bucks a month, you know. It's not cheap, and uh, unless somebody's ready to actually apply it and do the work, they're not going to make their money back every month. But that's what I want. I like people who just they apply one tip and they've sent an email out and they've already made their money back, you know, fivefold by the end of the month, and it's all good. So I have this like thing that I call investor-minded people versus opportunity buyer people. Investor-minded people are people who think long term. They don't look at – like if, if you sell a product to me and I look at, well, that's just an expense, that would make me an opportunity buyer. Like I'm just looking at it as an expense. An investor thinks, okay, I'm investing in this. 
and you know I'm going to make the most of this. I try to I like the investor minded people. The opportunity minded people are the people that like buy from every launch, and they don't use anything. It just sits there. Oh, now I'm going to buy the next thing. They really they are these people in in large part are very much addicted to the dopamine drip of buying new products, and I don't want them. Right. You know because. They don't want to use it. They don't even want to. It's like that. You ever see that video, the nail in the head video, where this girl's talking to like, I guess it's her husband. She's got this nail sticking in her head, <laughs> and she's like, it just hurts, and it's always in the way, and it hurts. And the guy's like, honey, you have a nail. It's not about the nail, she says. I don't want just. To, I want to talk about the nail. I don't want it removed. <laughs> it's, it's so perfect. It's the same thing. Like that's the kind of buyers I don't want. So. So then anyway. to that. So then to that point, who is um who is it for? Who is email players for? Yeah, it's it's really for people who who are like, okay, I want to write an email every day to my list and make a lot of money doing it, and I want to I want to have this dialogue and this communication with my market because this even goes beyond your list. It's for your audience, right? Like you have an email list, but you also have a podcast audience. You might have a YouTube audience. You might have a social media audience. It's for people who want to write an email every day to their list, but also they could if they wanted to apply that to all the other audience members they have. And you really just – you talk about positioning. It just gives you the kind of positioning you can't get any other way. It's like every day you're there. You know, there's, it's interesting. I heard Matt Fury say this once and he's like, if you're, an ex, if you're calling yourself an expert at what you do and you don't have something to say every day, people – even if it's just unconscious, people are wondering, is this person really the expert they say they are? Because if you're really an expert, you should have so much to say you, you can't not talk about this stuff. That's how I, that's why I don't know about you guys. That's why I have a podcast. It's like therapy. I need to get stuff out. You know, it's like bottled up in here because well, I have such knowledge of this stuff. Well, I was going to say that's a perfect answer to the question that I was going to ask about do you get complaints about why is this guy emailing me every freaking day? But the way that you're looking at it is like because I got something to say because I'm the expert. Well, and not only that, but I, I put safeguards in place because I don't like – I don't – A, okay, so for one, I don't want to mail to people who don't want an email every day. I think they should go somewhere else. There's more conventional people to learn from. That's fine. But two, <laughs> two I, put, I put the safeguard in place where like every, everywhere you can opt in on my site, there's a little thing that says – there's a little box you have to check or won't let you opt in saying – and it's very clear – I agree I'm going to receive promotional emails every day, daily promotional emails from Ben Settle. So the, and then in the welcome email it says this is a I even I admit it I go I mail a lot. Okay, I email every day and I email sometimes more than once a day. If that's a problem, please just unsubscribe now because I would rather them unsubscribe now than push the spam button later which can penalize you with an autoresponder. Sure. Oh, I see. Yeah, so then is there a, a hard and fast rule for how you do your emails? Do you do you batch them? Um, are you inspired in any moment and just, you know, throw it into the queue? Well, you know, it kind of depends. If I have like for example, um this last few months up until like well about a month ago I, I was done with it, but I was editing my latest novel, my latest Twisted Monster novel, and that takes a lot of time. It's like four or five hours a day of time. So I, the month before that, I, re, I pre-wrote all of October's emails. So pretty much almost all of October's emails were pre-written. But, nor, but the ideal way for me is to write them the day ahead oh, and wow. send them out as a broadcast. So let, let me ask you this. Uh, what's, what's the best advice that you can give someone who wants to learn copywriting? Uh, for copywriting, the, the best advice you can get is to start reading and studying really good copy and copying those ads out in your own handwriting. 
And when I say good copy, I'm not, I ignore all of us internet copywriters because I can get away with all kinds of slot because I send an email every day to my list. I don't have to have a perfect sales letter for the stuff I write, and neither does anyone else online usually. And big launches, it's like the copy is so inconsequential if they do the launch right. But there's these old school ads, like guys like Gary Halbert and John Carlton, Gary Bensavanga. Uh, those are three good people you can study. Uh, some of their ads you can find on a site called hardtofindads.com, which is free. It's not my site. It's just a friend of mine runs it. It's just a bunch of swipe file ads. Study guys like that or any old school. There's another guy named Gene Schwartz is a good one. Um, Dan Kennedy is really good. Study their ads and and read them out loud and copy them in, their own, in your own handwriting out loud and you will get – good so fast at this you'll just imbibe it you'll get the how to structure an edge the language that's being used and but okay besides that and I i should say one other thing even more important than that for copywriting and this is for any kind of direct marketing is you have to study your market better than anyone else so i'll give an example of this for the last eight or nine months i've been taking this thing called wing chun kung fu and the first thing you learn is what they call the form or one, there's like four forms, but there's this form, which is a series of movements that you do, which you're, you're doing it, and it's almost like in the Karate Kid where you're just painting fences, and you're like, what does this have to do with anything? <laughs> but all of them, but they all end up having combat application, and and the guy teaching me this, my Sifu, that's what they call him, he's like, Ben, I want you to know, since I only go there once a week now for like two hours because I live like an hour and a half away, he goes, whenever you're stuck, you're trying to practice this stuff and you don't know what to do and you don't really understand what you're doing, go back to that form. The answer is always in the form. And I have realized this is the exact same with copywriting. Your answer is always in your market. If you do a good avatar with your market where you like find out everything you can about the way they think, what they do, what their political views are, what they have a family, how much money they make. I mean there's so many things you can learn about somebody. You will never run – like it doesn't – you could be a sucky writer but you'll know what they want. Like if you know it keeps them up at night on like a Sunday night with insomnia, you can sell them. You know, If you know what their worst insecurities are, you can sell them. If you know the things that cause them pain and worry every day, you can sell them. If you know what they ardently fantasize about, um, you know, about whatever, it doesn't matter what the – they you will be able to sell them more easily than if you're just trying to like use um, – just the writing, you know, just trying to force through with writing tricks. So know your market better than anybody and you can't lose. In fact, one of the best copywriters on the planet, his name is Doug Deanna. I had a chance to uh, interview him a few years ago. He says, he, he really kind of brought it down for me like that. He's like, Ben, copywriting is, is not about building a bridge from your product to your prospect. You're building a bridge with your, from your prospect to your product. You're starting with them. And there's this guy named Jim Camp. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of him. He was like the world's most feared negotiator. He died earlier this year. And he was all about like as long as you're in their world, the, the, the adversary's world, whoever you're negotiating with, but this applies to us too, you, you, you're safe. You cannot bore them if you're in their world. Talk, like for example, that, that saying, don't tell me about your weed killer. Tell me about my crabgrass. That's so much wisdom in that. It's what <laughs> it you're is. talking about. so true. Right? Right. Like you can't. Somebody's got weeds. You cannot talk to them enough about it, man, or listen to them enough. But if you start trying to pitch them without establishing some kind of bond with them, good luck. It's not going to happen. So smart. <laughs> preach, Ben Saddle. Preach. <laughs> I'm going to start slamming. Yes. Yes. Has <laughs> <laughs> work taken taking the other corner here? What's in store for you in 2016? 2016, I finally. Well, okay. So this is kind of. I have to backtrack a month or two here. 
so I, I was up until about a month ago living in a town that was pretty well known to, to most of America now called Roseburg, Oregon. It's where that shootings were. And uh, oh. you, you guys probably saw it in the news. And uh, as well, about uh, almost a month before that, I my house got burglarized there because it's a really crappy town. I, I don't – I mean, <laughs> no offense to the people, but there's a meth problem. There's a bad meth problem. In fact, the uh, – the, the pawn shops even have signs that say no tweakers. You know, it's like well, <laughs> Walter White does not admit exactly. it. Exactly. What are you? Two, I was going to say, what are you doing over there? Well, I lived there for two years because I was like, I originally was too isolated on the Oregon coast, so I wanted to move. My I have a good friend who lives there in the entrepreneurial community. I wanted to like be a part of it. I lived there for about a year, realized I wanted to get out of there, get back to the coast. But I found a girlfriend in that town and stuff, and I got lazy and complacent until someone broke into my house. And, like, the cops said it was, it's always tweakers looking for money. Yeah. And they stole about $50,000 worth of cash and silver coins and firearms. Oh, and I said, okay, I'm getting out of here. So, so I left. I literally moved the day after that that incident with the, the shooting, which was unrelated I, as far as I know. Although somebody joked with me and saying, hey, Ben, how do you know he didn't use one of your stolen oh guns to God, shoot those? Oh, my God, I'd be mortified. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> that's that's that funny. That and I didn't think it was funny either, but and, you know, I usually <laughs> laugh at that kind of stuff. But I guess when it's me, it's not as funny. But um, but anyway, so I bring this up because I'm like, okay, I, I want to buy my own place finally. So in 2016, my goal is to buy my own place here in Band. I live in Bandon, Oregon now, which is on the coast. It's a love, great town, especially for golfers. Um, I have a part ownership in a golf company, an online golf company. We're launching that here pretty soon. I'm gonna the podcast that is going to be more monetized. I found uh, I've gotten together with Jonathan Rivera, and we've got a awesome. menu of products. And I found a, a, a writer who actually she subscribes to my newsletter. I said, okay, you write the emails for us because Jonathan and I we just don't have time, and you'll get a percentage of all the sales. And she's aggressively going at it, so it, it's it's just. Everything I've been laying a lot of groundwork this year for next year, and I hope mm-hmm. to do some more public speaking and that sort of thing too. And then, aside from that, you can you just? I'm really curious about your monster novels. So yeah, I've heard I was, you ta- was, was yeah. going to ask that too. Because I've heard you talk about it on your podcast. I'm like, I wonder what he writes about. And Tim and I were actually talking before we had you on, and and then uh, and Tim was like, Yeah, he must be freaking like really brilliant to write these types of novels and stuff. But, <laughs> I don't know about that. Deranged maybe, but brilliant. I don't know. Well, deranged and brilliant. There's a very yeah. fine line. There is really a fine deranged. line. Brilliantly deranged. <laughs> Um, what was the question? <laughs> the question, Ben, is about your brilliance. No, it's about the, about your, books, your monster your, novels. Your, your, your novels. Oh yeah. So I have. Well, okay. So I have seven of them plotted out. Two of them are published already. The third one should be published this month. And I've got four more to go. And I already know the ending. And I already know what's going on. So I think I may even write the next four just all at once like the first drafts, but I love writing those things. I plan to write it. Uh, certainly no matter what, I'll write another one next year. And, uh, yeah, so that's, you know, I don't know if it's ever going to monetize itself or not. Maybe one day it will, who knows, but I just do it purely for fun. That's so cool. How can people find out about that? Do you have a, a special site for your book? Yeah. Yeah. You can just go to enochwars.com. So it's E N O C H wars.com one word. And that takes you right to my Amazon listings for those books. Ben, we're at the, the witching hour. Um, the last question that we have for you, and this is kind of, uh, you can kind of take it in any way that, that you feel that needs to go, but really the question is, what sage advice do you have uh, for our boss reballers that they can take, some action that they can take in the next 24, 48 hours to help move their business forward? 
Well, they can buy my product. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'll tell you what. I, this is a, it's more of a decision than it is like – I mean it's an action, but it's more of a long-term decision. And I, I, I always get told that this story didn't really happen, but the lesson is very applicable anyway, so I tell it anyway. But I just give that in case someone says, yeah, Ben, I, I heard that. Didn't happen. I don't know if it happened or not. But the comedian Jerry Seinfeld was interviewed by Entrepreneur, I think, .com. And they're asking him, like, how did you get so successful? Because there was a time when he was doing almost $400 million a year during when Seinfeld was going. And, you know, he was the most – probably the richest comedian who had ever lived at that time. What was your secret, Jerry? And he's like, well, I would – I had this big calendar on my wall. And every day I said, no matter what, no matter what happens, I'm going to – I have to do it every day. Even if I'm dead sick, I'm going to do this. And that is I'm going to write one joke a day. It doesn't have to be a good joke. It could be a crappy joke could be a great joke. Who knows? But one joke a day, I have to write it. So he'd write his joke on that day. He'd X out that date on the calendar. And then the next day, he'd write his joke, good, bad, or ugly, X it out. And he says, as long as he had that, that chain of Xs and he didn't break the chain, he was going in the right direction. And I would say that is the best advice that I could ever give anyone because I certainly apply that to my own business with daily emails. But this could be daily anything. Yeah. It, whatever it is you're indispensable at, do it every day and become great at it. And you're gonna, you're, there's no way you're not going to succeed. Love that. See, who would have thought, Ben, that you were so kind? Because I hear you on your podcast. Not that you're not kind, but I just, I freaking love it. I love the ego. I love this, like, you're lucky to be listening to me right now. He's, 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 he's real. He's real. He really is real. He's the real deal, Holy Phil. It's just so cool. All right, Ben, thank you so much for being on our show. All the links to how people can get in touch with you more about your books and your email players newsletter and all that other stuff will be in the show notes but thank you so much we really appreciate you you got it too uh thank you so much i appreciate i really do appreciate i love doing these things so i thank you guys thank you for listening to the boss free society podcast if you want more connect with us on facebook at boss free society fan page twitter at boss free society or join our group of other boss free minded peeps at the boss free dojo on facebook